for God to take the cup from him. But what does that mean? What is a cup? I always thought I knew the answer to that question. But as I was looking over scripture for this sermon, I went back into the Old Testament and I found that the idea of the cup was not something new at all. In Isaiah 51, verse 17 says, Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, who you have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. And in Jeremiah, verses 20, or Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 15 through 16, says much of the same thing when it declares, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send to you drink it. You see, the cup that Jesus was referring to in his prayer was the cup of God's wrath. The reason why Jesus came to earth, the reason why Jesus was born in the form of a man, the reason why Jesus spent three years preaching and healing multitudes and crowds of people this was the very point of which Jesus' existence on this earth was meant to happen for. He became our substitute. He died for us. And he came to pay the price for our sins. Jesus came to drink the cup of God's wrath so that you and I wouldn't have to experience it. That's why he was born. That's why he came. And now just before, now just hours before the deed was to be done, Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us about this in more detail and actually states that Jesus prayed this three times. Pretty much saying the same thing every single time. Father, please take this cup for me. But do you think that Jesus thought that his prayer was going to change his destiny? Do you think that Jesus thought that there was another way to get the job done? If you do, that's not the proper understanding of why Jesus was praying. That's not why Jesus was praying to God. So why say the prayer at all? See, Jesus knew that the Father was going to deny his request. Jesus knew that the Father was going to say no. And Jesus knew that the Father wasn't going to change his destiny to fulfill what he needed to on the cross. So why pray the prayer? Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, that prayer isn't always about changing your circumstances or fixing your problems. Sometimes prayer is about laying a hold of God. That means laying a hold of his strength, laying hold of his comfort, and laying a hold of his will in our lives. Too often, people treat prayer as if it was like a magical chant. Say the right words, in the right moment, at the right time, abracadabra, presto, poof, everything becomes better. But that's not true. 
Many years ago, there was a receiver that played for the St. Louis Rams. His name was Isaac Bruce. And Sports Illustrated, Illustrated columnist Rick Riley interviewed him after his game-winning Super Bowl 34 catch, in which Bruce told him, he said, I had to make an adjustment on the ball, but God did the rest. See, something about that answer troubled Riley, so he kept press, pressing forward. And he asked about Bruce's recent car accident where he flipped his car multiple times. But he walked away unscathed. And Bruce told him it was because during every tumble, he screamed out, Jesus. So then Riley went on to question Bruce even further and said, well, what about professed Christian, Christian golfer Justin Payne who recently died in a plane crash, if he was to scream out Jesus during that time, would he have been spared? And Bruce's reply was, oh, definitely. Then he asked about the Christian athlete, linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs, Derek Thomas, who recently, or soon after, died from injuries he sustained in a car accident. And then he asked about the young lady that was killed at the Columbine High School shooting when she was professing to her killer her belief in God before she was shot and killed. If that was the case, and he said yes. And like a prosecuting attorney, Riley kept probing and probing Bruce until he exposed the shallowness of Bruce's understanding of prayer. And there was something I read about this. It was actually from the American Family Association website. I thought it was very, very applicable. And I quote, For Bruce to assume that yelling Jesus was a surefire way for everyone to avoid tragedy was simply bad theology. Athletes, like many infant Christians, believe God to be a cosmic convenience store where all of the good things in life are readily available. See, Rick Riley repeatedly faced Isaac Bruce with the obvious foolishness of that theology of viewing prayer as if it were a magical chant that would ward off evil. So why pray? If you can't always get what you want the way you want it, if you can't always avoid danger or pain or sorrow or death, why pray? Well, the easiest is that sometimes prayer indeed does change your circumstances and I've seen prayer bring forth healing, and I've seen prayer bring people back from the brink of death, and I've seen prayer defy the belief that nothing will change in some circumstances. But I've also seen, and I've also experienced times where prayer had a different kind of purpose. A purpose that stands in the face of circumstances that may not change. The purpose of prayer is best summed up by a poem that I once read. Sometimes God stills the storms of the sea. At other times, he stills the storms within me. That night in the garden, Jesus felt a need for that kind of calmness. You see, when I observed in Luke chapter 22, verse 41, where it said Jesus withdrew about a stone soil beyond them and knelt down and prayed, the Greek word for withdrew meant that he came out in a passive voice. It meant literally that he was withdrawn. 
He was drawn and physically pulled down in prayer. He had to talk to his father. He had to share, to share the anxiety and the pain that was being laid upon him. And Luke 22, verses 44 says, tells us that Jesus, in anguish, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Where was it that Jesus' sweat was like drops falling to the ground? Was it in Pilate's hall? No. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Now let me ask you this. If you all had witnessed that that night and been there, what would your thought be? What would you have said? If he is all broken up while just praying, what will he do when he faces real crisis? Would that have been your thought? You know, why couldn't he face this ordeal with calmness while in prayer, while his three friends were over there sleeping? But you know what? Yet when the test finally came, Jesus walked to that cross with calmness and courage while his three friends ran away. And what made that difference? It was that time of prayer. It was time, that time of prayer that gave Jesus his strength. It was that time of prayer that gave Jesus his courage. And it was that time of prayer that gave Jesus his calmness. And it was that time of prayer that gave Jesus the power to face the humiliation and the torture and the pain of the cross. But there are two key elements to that prayer that I need to point out to you all. And those elements will help each and every one of you face hardships and adversities in your lives. The first element about Jesus' prayer was his honesty. When Jesus prayed in the garden, he was brutally honest. There was no religious platitudes. There was no sugarcoating about what was about to occur. Jesus prayed, if you, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He knew that what was about to happen, and he also knew what needed to be done. But he still prayed three times, essentially saying the same thing. I don't know if I really want to do this. And there are oftentimes people who believe that being honest in prayer with God is more damaging than good. And that's very unfortunate. Their mentality might come from the fact that the world has turned its back on me. The last thing I need is for God to turn his back on me as well. And it can't be that way. Years ago, many years ago, the Washington Times carried the following article. When doctors removed an ulcer next to Bob Sorge's vocal cord, they permanently damaged his throat, leaving him with a remnant of a voice that hurts if he tries to whisper more than an hour a day. A terrible tragedy for anyone, but the suffering was 
multitude or multiplied for Sorge because Bob Sorge is a, is a preacher. How can a preacher preach without a voice? For, for years that followed, Sorge learned firsthand about suffering and how did he deal with that suffering? Sorge explained a lot of Christians will say, don't ask God why. But he also added that he's not in that camp. He said, I'm a strong believer in asking why. Jesus asked why. King David asked why. The psalmist asked why. The Bible is full of people that ask why. And oddly enough, Bob Sorge found his comfort from God with being honest with God. He realized that he couldn't really deal with a problem by simply ignoring it. Honesty in prayer is like a release vessel. Many therapists know this. And oftentimes when you're in a session with a therapist, their goal is to try to get you to be as honest and open about your feelings as you can be because they understand that it's a vessel for release. I once had a friend who was going through some very, very difficult times in many areas of his life. He told me that one day he went outside. He was so pent up with emotion. He went outside. He just looked at the sky and he said, God! You see, his emotion was taking the best of him, but it was a way to release. But he also told me that he knew that honesty in itself wasn't enough. You see, honesty by itself can destroy the power that you really want to have in prayer. Because honesty left to itself, used all to itself, all to itself can become an expression of hidden anger and bitterness. And in order to be useful as a prayer tool that gives you God's strength, honesty must be coupled with the second point of Jesus' prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup for me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In that article in the Washington Times, Sorge said, said this, why is a statement of faith not an expression of doubt? It presupposes that God exists and that he loves you and is in control of your destiny. Honesty and this understanding can unfold his purpose to you. It can show you the way you should think, the way you should feel, and the way you should behave. But you need to be desperate for God, and you need to press into him. You see, Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was an example of pressing into God. You see, the Father had the power to give him the strength because it hinged on accepting the Father's will. See, prayer can transform your times of weakness into times of strength. But the reality is, 
that you need to understand that prayer isn't about bringing God to you. Prayer is about you going to God. We went on a cruise years ago, and I was watching from the balcony as we were porting, porting back up, docking back up in Galveston, and I noticed that you know, the deckhands were out there, and they threw the cable ropes out, and they hooked them up, and they let the motors of the ship go to work. And the reality is, is that the, the pier didn't move towards the boat. The boat moved towards the pier until it snugly fit next to it. You see, that rope is, symbolizes the prayer to God. That rope, that prayer, doesn't pull God down to you, but it pulls you snugly to God. And in close today, we need to realize that Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane was not a prayer of hopelessness and defeat, but it was, a prayer, it was a prayer of surrender to his Father's will. And that surrender, Jesus found the strength to overcome. It was when Jesus prayed that, the, that, the, that prayer that the Father reached down and comforted him, tell, Luke twenty two forty three tells us, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. It's that kind of supernatural strength from God that I want in my life. But first, we all must be willing to pray the way Jesus prayed. I read an article in Reader's Digest a while back. It's about a Sunday school teacher who asked her class if they can recite the entire 23rd Psalm. And a four and a half year old little girl raised her hand and the teacher was real hesitant to call on her. But she did. And the little girl hesitated for a moment, thought, and then said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. Brothers and sisters, now is the time. If you need to pull yourself closer to God, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.